Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well. Excited to do this chat. Uh, I think it's going to be good fun. Um, and obviously, it's cool to chat with you anyway, because we go we go quite a way back. Uh, <laughs> much further than people probably know. So, yeah, On that note, if anybody wants to know what Mike was like at university, then uh, just drop in a question. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks. <laughs> Stitch me straight up. <laughs> um, so, uh, who are you? And what are you doing? Um, right now I'm waiting for my coffee machine to shut up. Uh, <laughs> I think it has. Okay, um, so my name's Jimmy. I uh, uh, run the hockey at Serbson High School. Um, coach the under-18 England boys as assistant coach. And I am the assistant coach at Serbson um, Hockey Club for the men. Uh, how long have you been at Serbson for now? You've been there because you were a junior there? You're a lifer? Yeah, all, all my life. Joined by accident at 11 and then um, went away for university and then did probably four or five years after university working. Uh, but I was always hoping for an opportunity to go back. So, uh, you know, I was hoping that about one of five schools really would, would need a head of hockey. And when it came up, I just jumped at it at Serbs and High and it just allowed me to bring everything back really. So combined, like this stint, I think has been eight years. Um, but yeah a lifer in in that regard it's the the soul of my hockey if you like nice and then so actually one of the so ellie lane on instagram asked when did you start hockey and why uh just mentioned 11 years old um didn't have a clue about it at primary school i just I went to a state school um shout out to Kinsley Wood down the road from serbs and hockey club um our teacher at school, who's a math teacher actually, he played National League for Teddington at the time. So he he showed us the, the game, um, but I hadn't really taken a, a, that of an interest in it. Um, and then I was having a, a sleepover, as 11-year-olds do, at, um, at a friend's on a Sunday morning. And my uh, mum my was delayed coming to get me. So Steve asked if I wanted to come to hockey with him, and I didn't really know what to do, but ended up going and loving it and, and never looked back. So um yeah 11 years old is the answer yeah and i think the more people i ask that question like how did you start the it's fascinating the number of people that kind of just fell into the sport and it wasn't uh oh yeah well yeah there's obviously somewhere it was like parents brother sister whatever but actually there are so many people where it was like complete fluke complete accident so no big fan of that and then like how did you get into coaching because obviously coaching is a huge part of your life huge part of my life like how did you get into it i think um initially it was at university it was um take the lady second team whilst sort of playing uh, so we didn't have enough coaches in the club and then um as a kind of payment to that they put me through the level one and then on the level one uh the assessor rich he um said you know you've, you've got an eye for this why don't you come down and do some stuff with avon which is a county that you know Bristol is or certainly used to be part of um uh, and that's how it started really and I got to kind of level two just by doing it sort of part-time just to just to just because it was interested in the sport um and then I remember getting an email uh, to the university club saying from a uh, Clifton High School school in Bristol saying you know we've got a, a graduate position coming up if anybody wants to you know coming out of university wants to have a go so um, uh, I jumped at that really. Uh, I was lucky to get an opportunity then as a 22, 23 year old, I guess. Um, 
and it was your classic paid by the hour work in the afternoons but get your feet wet kind of job and that's um, that's how it started uh, and then ended up getting a um, using a recruitment company um, to, to get a job at a boarding school and go down there so uh, it, it wasn't a long-term plan it was let's see how it goes kind of thing and actually I was getting advice to say you're not ever going to make enough money in this or make a career of this you really should you know go and train to be a teacher if that's what you want to do and I had exactly the same chats from friends family being like you're not going to make any money in hockey what are you doing and then actually yeah 10 years later or whatever it's been my full-time career for yeah 10 plus years so I completely know where where you're coming from with that it was in the in the industry as well so I had a deputy head tell me that I had a, a former director of sport tell me that. Um, and I think it's, you know, luck rather than judgment, but you end up trying to forge your own path. And when you do, you you don't look back. Lucky enough to do my hobby as a career now. So Living the dream, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we go on to, like, the uh, – like, youth development side which is something i really want to like dive deep into we can't have you on here and not talk about your twitter skills videos um like how did you come up like what kind of gave you the idea to do it um what's been the traction off the back of it because i know they've been like mega popular um and certainly something which i've kind of shared because i think it's really high quality i love what you've done so like how did it all come about and and why thank you to start with <laughs> it's strange um i it's probably two sides to it so i'm lucky at, at stanton high we are um we're one-to-one ipad so we're sort of technically set up for this strange time um and it was firstly how can we engage with our students to so they're not bored because <laughs> although uh, although hockey season had kind of finished i did sort of think well you know i might have a bit of a responsibility here to to put things in for them. Um, and probably what you don't see from the, the social media stuff is under the surface, the kids were sent the videos um, a little bit in advance, although it got a little bit tight. So, uh, you know, by the end of it, I was putting them out in the morning and they were responding in the afternoon. And, you know, thanks to them, they're brilliant and that. Um, but they were, it was an internal thing. So some were replicating the videos, sending them back. Some were replicating the videos, learning how to use iMovie as a, as an element of this I hadn't really explored like they were actually getting better at creating their own videos as a result um, and some of them didn't feel comfortable with it going up on social media so would send me an email saying here's my video but please don't put it up and you know you respect that absolutely respect that as well so um, first and foremost it was keeping them busy and then I just thought well it's not necessarily fair just to keep it internal because there's probably loads of kids that are bored so I just thought I would stick them up. Um, I thought it was really powerful to have the student responses to the initial videos. And that was the intention at first, was to just have the student responses. And then I just felt we needed to make sure that all of the challenge was available um, so that people could take it on their own journeys and their own spins on it. Because that's exactly what the kids were doing. They weren't they weren't robotically copying it. They were taking it in their own directions, which is which is brilliant. Yeah, and I liked the fact that you you had the kind of your version and then the the athletes' version as well. I thought that was really cool. So you could actually see them trying things out and actually with all the different places where which people have available. So some people obviously have a garden, some did it indoors. Like it was just cool to see all the variants there. 
seeing that evolve was quite funny because as the weeks progressed and the challenges got a little bit more hectic, I guess, the uh, what the kids had to come up with to, to meet that demand was, was quite interesting. And I'd get the odd email saying, my mum says I can't do this week's. And you go, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Please apologise to your mother. But equally, you know, I had arguments with my mum when I was the same age of running around the house and I think I said to you before, I took a chunk out of the fireplace that she still blames me for, but <laughs> I, I swear blind it fouled me. It, was, you know, it, sh- it shouldn't have been there, but it, 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 all, it all helps. It all helps your exploration of the sport. So. Definitely. Um, and then, yeah, so what's kind of been the, the big attraction off the back of it? Because I've seen loads of clubs have engaged with it. I've seen like a huge amount of gain off the back of it. And would you say 100 thousand views across the course. I've no idea what it is now, but um, yeah, as we got to the end of thirty, the, the, well, at the end of four weeks, it, that's that's where it was. Um, yeah, loads of people just reached out and said, um, "Can we use them?" And you know, I just was quite happy to send them on. Really, I think I was sending them to about fifteen people a day, and it, you see it popping up on school accounts. And there's some clubs doing it on their internal systems or or what have you, and that's absolutely fine. It's We've got some someone in Australia using it, a few people in America using it. Um, I was quite happy to send it out because, again, it was just about making sure the kids aren't bored. So the more people that asked, the more people got sent. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think I retweeted pretty much every single one that you you've put out. So the yeah, the one hundred and one family have definitely kind of seen it. But will I think it's going to be something which I want to revisit as well because I think when people come out of lockdown, it's going to be really important that people are still developing their skills and not think, okay, cool, I've done it over the summer, I'm done, and then move on to the outfield stuff. So actually, I'm keen that players that I work with, old, young, whatever, are still having that kind of technical development side kind of off the back of it. So yeah, definitely going to keep sharing out for you because I think that's such, I think when people can go back to the field, fully i know we're obviously in one-to-one stages at the moment they're going to want to play games and everything else and that side is massively important don't get me wrong but i still think it's important that they still refine their technical development stuff which is obviously a huge topic in the coaching world at the moment um so yeah i think definitely well worth just, kind of following up just on that and that's been the interesting thing with the conversations i've had with other coaches since there's this feeling that I'm trying to tip the balance back to a technical um, and, you know, ultimately it will be how you can translate that stuff in a real game that will make this kind of thing worthwhile. So the, the biggest technical challenge we're challenging with the under 18 England boys at the moment is, is where you're looking when you do those skills. Because it's so easy without the kind of visual cues just to look straight down at the ball or at the cones or whatever it is you're using. So if you are using this stuff at home, it's really important you try and maybe do it eyes closed or maybe do it with a visual cue in front of you. Pick a spot on the wall, watch TV. It really doesn't matter. But it's funny, we, we've been doing these blindfold challenges with the England lads and they still do this. <laughs> and even though they're blindfolded, they still put their heads down. And it, it's not all of them, but you, the recognition of actually your head position might actually change something else about your posture so why not practice with your hands up with your head up and your head up um and little things that will help you translate the ideas to the real game yeah because that even just having your head like that that's going to adjust balance that's going to adjust like obviously visual side like loads of aspects of it so yeah even just that is going to make a huge difference so yeah definitely something which they need to be working on um 
So going on then, like I said, the main reason I want to kind of get you on here because I wanted to talk about like youth development and how athletes can kind of grow and move through. So want like, I know this is going to be really hard to kind of nail on and I, I did send you these questions before, but you know, what do you think kind of the most important aspects are for like young players to develop uh in their game and i think obviously there, there is the technical side but there's so many other bits like what do you think young athletes kind of need to be able to develop i'm going to tackle this in two ways one from like the people that help athletes um the influencers so the parents the coaches the teachers and then to directly answer your question from the young people um this this term end in mind comes up a lot and the reason I say that is because I think people's end as, as the end in mind is very, very different. Um, so if you work in a prep school, for example, and you're only thinking about kind of winning or the success of your first team, then your end in mind is actually 13 years old. Um, and the same with some schools. If you, you know, your, your end in mind is to actually make your school first team strong, then your end in mind is actually 18 years old. And they're very much not the ends at all. You know, the, the whole idea behind the statement is kind of Olympics, medal um, winners at the Olympics. So I think the first thing is don't set your glass ceiling where you think it is. Um, really try and create an environment where the athletes make the ceiling. And that might mean that they outgrow your environment. You know, school hockey's done really well. You sow the seeds. You 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 get to a point where they almost outgrow school hockey, and that's that's not a that's not something you should be worried about. That's absolutely a compliment to what you've been able to kind of the foundations you've been able to put in, uh, and that's that's the first thing I just wanted to mention from a, an end in mind philosophy is the end is not that 13, 16, 18, 21. It is very much where you think that person can be. Um, uh, at 30, for example, or, or even later. Um, and, and obviously, it may not be an aspiration for that person to go and play in the Olympics. They might just be doing it for fun. So the product you offer them or the, the environment you offer them has to be very, very different. Uh, I think it's worth just kind of highlighting that before we talk about the players. Um, players, the, the, the key, key thing for me is going to be how quickly can you adapt what you're, what you're offering when you go into a new environment how quickly can you understand that the demands of that environment are going to be different so if you've been playing school hockey for five six years and been playing a very similar way and then you're then asked to go and play in the national league team are you going to perform the same things the same solution when the same problems arise probably not you're probably going to spend the first year just trying to trap it just trying to lead just try and be useful and when you start getting comfortable in that environment, then you'll start to show yourself. And you put that in a trial situation, you turn up to a, a NAGS trial or a Futures Cup or a PC trial, something like that. The people that will stand out are the ones who quickly work out, okay, I'll, I can do that. I possibly can't do that yet. I can get myself in the game and then I can try those things. I want to be able to show who I am. So these are the things I want to leave out there. All of those things are really important. We see a lot of kids who think that playing it safe, for example, gets you through a trial. And when you're, you're not going to fight, you fight less players than you're going to let go, 
Mm-hmm. Do you really want to be those people that's saying I do these things really nicely, or do you want to stand, you know, stick your head above the parapet and go for it? And that 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 for it that for me is is everything. It's adapting to the environment that you're in, um, and then making the best opportunity to show yourself. And I remember that when I was doing the next selection stuff with Jody as well. Like it, for me, it was like if you've got guys that just stay within their comfort zone the whole time you're like okay well what else are you going to bring to the party because knowing that they're going to play the Dutch the Germans like whatever and also thinking like you say that end in mind like we're looking at guys thinking okay well they're coming into 18s but this is not where we want them to live like we're thinking 21 seniors so actually the guys that come out of their comfort zone and do things which are going to make a difference and are going to make that impact yeah, okay, people are going to make mistakes. And actually, if you never come out of your comfort zone, you're never going to make a mistake. So I think that's the other thing. I think players think, oh, well, if I never make a mistake, that's 100% and then I'm going to get picked. Whereas actually, I think we're very much the same mindset of actually, if you make a mistake, but you've seen the right thing to do, but maybe there was a little technical breakdown or whatever, and you've gone for it, that's better than not, surely. Is that, that there were some guys who I was actually really looking forward to seeing, and obviously I won't mention any names, but I was really surprised to see them pass backwards ninety, or pass backwards or sideways, ninety to hundred percent of the time, and I just, I just thought that is a, you know, if we put that into a process of uh, being pressed, like you say, by the Germans or or by the Belgians or a team that are willing to step out on you they're going to learn that from your own behaviour. So they see you pass sideways 10 times. You expect that players of that level will start to go, well, he's going to pass there, so I'm off. I'm already off to, to meet that guy and put pressure on him. Um, and that's what we want is people that see different things emerge. Uh, and, and like you say, the comfort to try something, uh, try and stick your head above the parapet. I know you used that saying before, but it's something that I've heard a few times and is really important to me is, if you think you have something in your locker and you don't actually use it, I think you're selling yourself short. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, for all the guys out there, if you've got a slider, like a 70-yard aerial, and you never use it, people don't know you've got it. So if you've got it, and, okay, maybe excuse off the end of the pitch, fine. I think the other important aspect is that you learn within it. So like you say, it's not only how quickly you can adapt as you get in, but then there's also the other side, which I think is really important to bring up, is it's not just, okay, cool, you've got that 75 area, and that's the only thing you use, and it never works, then you're not learning within the process across the, the trial as well. So it's making sure you actually have that adaptability, and you learn, and you can grow within it as well. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. If you've made the same mistake once or twice, you know, it's... Uh... You, under, you understand and you look for the intention and what they're doing. If you're making it over and over and over again and you're, you're getting its double figures and you would question whether they're learning from the from that process. I agree. Uh, and then I guess for me the final thing when if we're on that trials thing is you've got to see people that enjoy being in that moment. Um, thinking back to when I played, I certainly didn't think about enjoying the moment which is really stupid which is probably why I didn't do very well in tryouts and things but it's so easy to see the ones that actually enjoy and thrive in that moment because they just seem to make other things happen and then they 
playing with the rest of the team and everything else because they're enjoying the moment and the guys that get very insular and really struggle with it and kind of beat themselves up and, and it all gets too much they they always struggle to get forward to the next stage well like you say whether that's even getting into county or ac or pc or whatever like my you've got to enjoy the moment I totally agree, and it's it's something that has actually struck me about Surbiton guys when they go into big games. The amount of people just you know high fiving before the game, although that may change now. Um, they are, <laughs> you know, it's just go and enjoy yourself, have fun, and and you know even at that kind of level, it's has to be a focus because if you don't enjoy those moments, then what's the point? And yeah, back to the point about trials, you know, people that are enjoying themselves can radiate that and have a real positive effect on other people. And actually, if someone is feeling anxious. Just seeing the person next to them having a whale of a time um, can have a really positive effect. And they go, oh, this is a game. I can just play. Yeah. You know, the people watching are not, you know, potentially looking at something you even understand yet. You know, if you're in an under-15 Futures Cup, the people watching are have got that experience of what Holland, what German, Germany, what Belgium, what Spain are going to throw at you. You don't know that stuff yet. Mm. So... They're looking for something you, in you that you may not even know exists yet. So don't overthink it. Just go and play and the, the rest will take care of, care of itself. Definitely. And I think this leads on quite nicely into that next bit, into the next question, which was, and we've, we've touched on it, like enjoying it, adapt, learn, all those sorts of things. But how, now let's talk about like young players transitioning into National League or to senior hockey. And I think, I think we've both been fortunate enough to work with some decent players who have come through, um, you know, getting their first National League caps and everything else. And I think you've been, you've worked with some really cool players that have made that step into the National League, um, who have now got senior caps and everything else. Um, so what helped their transition for them to go in and then kick on versus those that have maybe gone into the National League and then maybe stumbled and then maybe dropped back out of it? So what would you say kind of your, your advice is there or kind of your your learnings? A uh, couple of things, really. First and foremost, it's not for everyone to be pushed. Um, and I think it's important that the individual is really considered. So that you can't have like blanket rules where you say, when you get to this age, your best player will go and do X because it, it doesn't work like that. I think we've we've made a lot of mistakes along the way that we've, we've really learned from. Um, there may be, for example, an element of there being other young people around the group that makes the whole thing seem less scary. Um, if you're, you know, some people will absolutely take like a duck to water and go for it um, because they just love it and they you know, appreciate the opportunity of, be, of being there. But some youngsters really appreciate having other youngsters around to go through it with them. So if they're not necessarily feeling socially comfortable with the idea of playing with adults, is you can ad address that simply by having other players go through it. Um, and then from a from a playing level, I think we have a responsibility as coaches to see where we think they're going to get to rather than where they are now. And the, the best coaches, the best talent identifiers, I guess, that I've worked with, and someone like Will Folk has got such an eye for it. It's, it just amazes me when he says that person's going to be at this level and then five years later you get to go, bloody hell, you were right. <laughs> you know, and it's it's uh, you know sometimes we don't see the game in the same way as everybody else. But um, 
I would say have a real eye for where you think they're going to get to because they need to kind of amass experience. Um, you're not going to pick a kid straight away in your National League side. They're going to spend some time getting used to training at that level. So can you do it a year younger than you used to? Let's say you put someone in the group at 17, they spend a year getting used to a level and then they're off to university. They've never actually done it. Well, they've come off the bench a little bit, you know. Um, is why can't you get them in at 15, 16, spend a year or two getting them ready, and then you get a couple of years of performance out of them before they go to university. And I bet you those are the ones that then come back because they felt like you've really helped them sort of take that step. Mm. So I think patience is one. Don't expect the world from um, them initially. And try and see that they're not, you know, and this is really important for the other players in the group. I've certainly experienced that is some are more welcoming than others, even though they've probably all been through it themselves, is they have to, their initial reaction to people joining the group, especially young people, has to be positive. Yeah. You know, we've had players ask us to ball out youngsters and I just stand there and look at them blankly and no way is that going to happen. Um, they have to get comfortable in their own you know, in their own skin and in their their own ability, and that can take a real amount of time. Um, so, if the whole if they're young enough, they're good enough is is loosely a good rule. Um, sorry, if they're good enough, they're old enough. I don't know to, um, then it's loosely a good rule. Uh, but consider whether they're you know socially going to be able to deal with it and give them real time, probably a season, maybe a season and a half to get really used to the level. I think. Yeah, I think that time aspect is so important. And like you say, yeah, there has to be the culture of accepting young players in. Having You hear these stories, don't you? Oh, well, we're an old club and you know we don't want juniors. And you hear these stories. I'm like, yeah. and then they wonder why they don't get the uni returners and everything else because they've not been looked after in the first place. If you don't look after your juniors when they're juniors, why would they come back as seniors? Uh, and that's not just that. That, and like you say, it's not just for the those guys that are pushing the very top end of the club. Actually, you got to look after them all the way through because they may come back and be a fourth team player. That's great, like because they may then have a role in the committee or whatever. And actually, it's looking after them and building that understanding that this is somewhere where they want to be, and they'll have those memories for life. And then, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I was I played for a I played for four A's at my club at, when I was fourteen. And I'm still in the WhatsApp group today with those guys, <laughs> you know, and you know, I played for them for a season, season and a half, ended up going on tour with them for years and, you know, went to one of their weddings. You know, it's much bigger than the game and you're absolutely right. It's not just about the top, top level, but all the way down, there can be a massive effect on just the engagement with the sport. Yeah. And that for some people is much more about the social aspect than what happens on the pitch. And I think, you and I are also both testament, like, you know, neither of us were top, top players, you know, senior internationals or anything else, yet we've stayed in the game, we love the game, and now we're heavily involved in coaching. So people's avenues are different. It's not always about being the best player, actually. What other avenues can you find for players as they grow through? Because actually, they could be a National League coach, they could be a, an international umpire, they could be a TO, like, there's so many other things that they can do within the sport and if you can make that environment worthwhile no matter playing or otherwise then they're going to stay in it anyway yeah i agree and it's quite a hard thing to get through to some of our youngsters that 
you know, they might play third, fourth, fifth team, but they can go off to university and be first, second team players and they don't, you know, their blinkers on the sport, if they've only ever played for one club or one, one school, can be quite small. Mm. And then when they come out of the environment, especially for us, it's, you know, you see them playing extra ones or Durham ones or stuff like that. You think, bloody hell, you know, they're doing <laughs> fair play to them, you know? Uh, I get my last kind of question before we go into a couple of Q and A's. Um, what advice would you give to players who are now transitioning from kind of lockdown where they've been doing all that, like they may have been able to do some skills or they've kind of started to develop to then, I mean, realistically we're looking at what two, three month window now where people are going to start to transition into the 11 aside game so how what advice would you give to young athletes kind of going through that phase there's probably an opportunity when we get out on the pitch to practice things that we don't do enough in this country so can we really hit the ball off both sides off both feet uh, can we deliver the ball off the hip can we deflect properly so those things you can work on on your own you can also you know, if you're in a two or three, set up some some neat little exercises where there's a, a, a pass, a delivery, and a and a deflection, that kind of stuff. It's um, you know, add add something to your toolbox that you may not feel is is that strong. Um, even if that's the case of, you know, you think you might be really good at hitting the ball, but they always go in the air. So can you actually learn to hit the ball flat? Um, can you learn to to hit the ball with some disguise or off? You know carry with disguise and then hit a different way that kind of stuff will, will go a long way i think with the the one-on-one skills that people are doing in their gardens i think the the two real issues are going to be your distance from your obstacles because yeah. you know same for me you were getting really close i was getting really close to the obstacles and certainly the ones i've seen online that's still true you know those obstacles are now going to be able to move at you so you have to really consider the distance that you're doing those things and I would say massively the disguise. So what you you do before you do those uh, elimination moves to get the defender off the spot they want to be on. Those are the things that if you do get a live defender, those are the things you should be exploring next to, to try and bridge the, the gap. Um, and then I mentioned it before with the vision is, you know, if you play like this the whole time, you, you will get tackled a lot because you just can't see. So peripheral vision stuff within the first two or three metres and then wider pitch vision stuff is is going to really help. But it's um it's hard to kind of imagine those kinds of pressures if you're on your own. But um, I always think about the NBA when I um when I think about how you train. You often see clips of NBA players practicing on their own, and what they're actually doing is visualizing where the pressure is coming from. And you don't see them standing there shooting. They do little moves and then shoot. That kind of stuff is is actually really consider what those little moves are the impact of them so if i want to open up space on my right hand a little shoulder move or left foot move to the left to open up that space hugely important um so yeah nice um so we have a question from smithy uh any ways uh, or advice to train <laughs> this is pretty sketchy to train drag flicks and aerials when not on a pitch <laughs> Um, I really hope mum's not listening and she won't be because I haven't sent her the link. But, uh, <laughs> I learned to aerial by flicking a tennis ball up the stairs. Um, but you now see a lot more frames and things going up stairwells. Or certainly <laughs> in my house, it was it was not the case. 
um, is effectively trying to hit every hit every step on the way up the stairs before trying to hit the back wall. Um, aerialing over someone is is the key thing. Mm. Um, and and actually, if you've if you think you're getting to a point where you can aerial it, you don't need an astro, but you probably do need a garden. Mm. You might be able to lift over the fence to a neighbour, but if you've got a sibling that can stand in front of you and you can lift it over them you know if you lift it over a family member you're going to be able to lift it over <laughs> someone you've never met before um you know we do that practice a lot of school where i just stand in the middle of them and they look at me like i'm mad but done that <laughs> yeah the point's obvious isn't it if you know lift over someone you care about then the rest is easy <laughs> um and then uh drag flicking uh we used to have these French windows, and please don't replicate them. <laughs> um, and I basically used to open one of the French windows, move the curtain slightly so it had, it was basically about this much to aim for, and then I would flick a tennis ball at the curtain. Um, and that really helped, and I think we've seen some really inventive ideas on social media about that. Um, it, you effectively, for both of those skills, only need the takeoff point don't you you only need a little bit of mass um the where it ends up doesn't need to be astro it just needs to be you know a safe landing zone (laughs) Uh, but it 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 can be you know be inventive with it and i think what we really need in terms of drag flickers in this nation are shorter releases Mm -hmm. so actually if you're if you're limited to the space that you've got it may end up being a help to you you can't drag Definitely. it three meters. If you can only drag it a meter, then you're practicing to flick it off a off a shorter distance. So you're probably, you know, subjectively less likely to get run down than someone who is dragging it two meters. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that'll also help your indoor game as well. So you know, having that little short pick up and release, it's going to help indoor and outdoor. Um, and then last question uh from don't just coach uh most important thing when trying to develop skills in young players so like under 13 and down um good question uh good tag as well um i would say the the why so understand why you're doing things so if if you say to them do this motion and then do that motion and that will work and then it doesn't work in a game. They'll stand there looking at you thinking, but you told me this would work. So it's really understanding why you manipulate the ball. So that, that we do the first motion to get the defender to bite. And then we, we make the second motion to get to space. That why is huge, is much more important to a little one who can then work out their own skills off the back of that. Um, and, and variety. Um, so don't just do the same drag motion over and over again. Teach them something new every week. And they'll eventually start to to work out which ones work for them because you get a group of twenty, three of them are like that one, three of them are like that one, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and the last thing is, is probably combinations. So how can you use one shape or skill to create opportunity to use another one? Uh, certainly, the way I, so I try and think is, I'll use this one if it hasn't quite worked. I know I can go for that one because I'm in that space now, in that position, um, and that way you've got it's not a plan b but it's like a plan a plus one you know mm. um and i think them knowing that they've got other ways out gives them more avenues to explore uh i've actually got one final question uh and this is what advice would you give to 
kind of young co young players that want to be coaches? Um, it's a good question. I think you're a, there's a slight advantage that you probably have a lot of the what if you've if you've played. I think the biggest challenge is to realise what you're saying and what they hear could be completely different things. So if you if you feel like you've got a lot of knowledge, the craft becomes really really important and understanding, you know, try and get as much back from your players as you can, just to check whether what you're saying or what you're exploring actually makes sense to them. Um, that'd be the first bit. And, and if you if you don't feel you've got the knowledge, um, is very simply to go and find as much knowledge as you can. You know, I. I'm an assistant coach in, in two environments and I love being an assistant because it probably gives me access to a level that I wouldn't be able to do as a as a head coach yet. Um, so me being involved with um, players going from juniors to senior international uh, gives me a real insight into how that path looks or how that journey looks. It's not something that comes from my own experience as a player, so I have to manufacture that in other ways, if that makes sense. So craft and knowledge are the two, the two biggest. Um, and last, I'm sure everyone hears this a lot, but just be as authentic as you possibly can. I think a lot of people go into roles and behave in a way that they think is required of them. Um, and people, you, you ultimately... That, that shows through in the end you have to you have to be as authentic as you can and a lot of a lot of environments will talk about trust if you're acting like someone you're not it becomes obvious to people people see through it so um just be honest about where you are and authentic as you can be and it'll, it'll come time will come yeah i think that authentic authenticity piece is also massive for not just young coaches but actually senior coaches as well people have been around the game for a long time i think you know take a look at yourself occasionally and just kind of just kind of check back like what it is what you're doing what your values and your standards are and if not like how can you rebuild that a little bit uh, i think it's important for everybody to kind of check and challenge themselves as they as they grow and develop as and, you know you and i we're not the same coach as we were 10 years ago you know i think you know we've learned and grown and made mistakes plenty of them over the over our time so and we'll probably make plenty more mistakes between now and the next 10 years so yeah i think that's been really cool uh yeah go for it i was just gonna say i, I completely agree um you know there's loads of things that you, you well look at two ways you probably would have done differently but also you appreciate the mistake because it highlights it to you so uh, I remember the moment where I felt like hang on a minute I think I'm acting different to who I actually am or believe in here and I remember being really quite miserable for for um, that the, the remainder of that role so I um, you know absolutely agree with it maybe you have to go through it um, but if you can highlight it beforehand, then save yourself some stress. <laughs> Definitely. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, is there anything else you kind of want to say before we sign off? Any last parting words of wisdom? <laughs> it's a game. Enjoy it. Don't take it too seriously. Um, that's about it. <laughs> Perfect. Mate. No one asked any questions about you at university? No, none.
I'm gutted. <laughs> we'll save that one for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, look forward to catching up and having a beer with you very soon. Thanks, mate. Cheers, buddy. Appreciate the time. Bye.